is this is our music now. I've decided this is our theme music. Yeah. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Mid-Major Madness podcast. My name is Russ Steinberg. I'm joined by my co-editor, Kyle Cajero. It's been a while since we've talked to you. We have tried to record podcasts on a couple sep- separate occasions and have run into some technical difficulties each time, but we are here. It is Feast Week. It is at the time of this recording, the day after Thanksgiving. Hopefully we get this up for you guys on Monday for your commute back to work. Um, A lot has happened in the world of college basketball, as is always the case this time of year. A lot of mid-major schools or schools from mid-major conferences finding their way onto the national radar uh, with some strong performances in their November tournaments. I think two of the most notable are Gonzaga and Dayton. So we'll start with those two. I think the most surprise, the more surprising team of the two would be Dayton. And I think that's a good place to start. They went out to the Maui Invitational. They beat Georgia 80 to 61, beat Virginia Tech 89 62, and then took Kansas to overtime before eventually falling 90 to 84. Um, at the time of this recording, they have the number five offense in all of Ken Palm. They have the number one effective field goal percentage and number one two-point percentage. And of course, they're led by a guy who we all knew was very good because he was great last year as a freshman. This year, however, he has taken it to a whole other level. He doesn't look like an Atlantic 10 player of the year candidate. He looks like a national All-American candidate. Uh, and that is the great Obi Toppin. Kyle, you watched that Kansas game. I saw parts of it. I saw parts of all of these games, and holy crap, uh, this is a good team, and it's just—it's not just Obi Toppin. It, it, it's really not, um, and I, I hate to kind of start off on the negatives here, but I will, I will not do that. Um, I think this is a tremendous uh, showing for the A-10, as a whole, uh, they've had kind of a rocky stretch aside from VCU and uh, Richmond and Duquesne, who have been racking up wins against teams that we may or may not uh, know if they're good yet. Um, but I think for the conference, this showing of Dayton's was huge. I mean, just we, we all kind of knew about, as, as you said, we already knew about Obi Toppin. We already knew about the high expectations that Dayton had this season, but now it's, you know, they, they've definitely arrived. I mean, Obi Toppin is a bona fide NBA prospect. We all knew this. Now all the casual fans kind of know it too, uh, which is fun, I suppose. And I feel like, you know, even though they did lose that game to Kansas, they do have so many things going for them to be ranked in the top 25 this next week. Um, right as, as of recording this, seven of the AP top 25 teams have lost so far. So it's really not inconceivable for the Flyers to be uh, ranked next week. I, I just feel like that offense is going to provide a very interesting foil to VCU and conference play. But aside from that, I mean, <laughs> we, were, we were so close to having yet another, you know, upset and a season of upsets uh, brought by the hands of mid-major schools, which is kind of a bummer. But still, fantastic week by Dayton. I guess that's really all there is to say. Yeah, I, I think. First of all, I think if they're not ranked on Monday, then just abolish the top 25. Like because because oh, what, what are we even sure. doing? If if this team is mm-hmm. not ranked, then I don't know what, what you've been watching. Um I I think what what came across really impressive to me, it's not something that I knew 
we would be guaranteed to see from Dayton this year is just how, um, I guess, diverse is the right word, balanced offensively they could be. I mean, we know how good Toppin Mm -hmm. is as a big guy. Uh, That They hit, what, their first five threes in that game against Kansas, which kind of just opened everything up for them. And they've got a whole bunch of threats from from out there. Jalen Crutcher, uh, E.B. Watson came off the bench. He That surprised me because I thought prior to that game that he was a starter. I guess not. Uh, they've got just a ton of weapons on this team. Uh, they maybe aren't the best defensive team, although they've held their own, I think, overall this year. Uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. They're going to be a great foil to VCU in this conference. They've been... The, the two best teams in the A-10, at least so far, Rhode Island, Richmond, could kind of creep up in that conversation at some point. But it, it's been Dayton and VCU. I think Dayton has been the most fun team. VCU has the potential to maybe create the most chaos with the way that they mm-hmm. play. Um, and it's going to be fun to watch the two of them going at it. You know, now that you mention it, I forgot to say something in that blurb, but I think Jalen Crutcher was probably one of the most impressive players against Kansas, even though stat line didn't show it. He was in for most of the second half with four fouls. Yeah. Um, ended up hitting a couple of threes, like even in foul trouble against Kansas's defense in order to get them into overtime. I mean, that last possession was kind of a mess. <laughs> um, you know, right. if, if Crutcher missed that three, I think we would be kind of thinking differently about it. But, I mean, it, it, it takes skill and it takes some kind of moxie to hit that shot in that situation. And, and you know, as you, as you mentioned, I feel like defensively this team uh, has a lot of work to do. Uh, you know, against Kansas, like, Yudoka Azabuki had a career night. Uh, he could do basically whatever he wanted. Um, I'm more concerned about, uh, you know, how, you know, Kansas's guards could basically drive wherever they wanted to. Uh, they got to the rim so many times, maybe didn't finish as many times as they would have wanted to, even though they won. Um, but I think that will be definitely a big thing to watch, especially when A-10 play is approaching, just because of how many really talented guards there are in that conference. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And they've also been um, shaky, yeah. I guess, in their first six games in defending the three, and that's that's something else to watch out for because there are a lot of good shooters in the conference Mm -hmm. as well. But even then, like, I feel like, you know, with, with how the season is broken so far and the games that they have coming up on their schedule, like they are definitely in the mix for an at-large bid, even if things don't work out in the A-10. I know that that probably wasn't a big question going into it, but just what they've done so far and what's left on the schedule. I mean, like that neutral game against St. Mary's is going to be really fun. Um, In the neutral game against Colorado, who is expected to be better than usual. Uh, will also be pretty big. But, I mean, all in all, I think we've <laughs> kind of... I, I feel like I'm just talking in circles here, but that was just a tremendous showing, even with the loss. Yeah, and and what Dayton has done is, is build a resume. Because, you know, j- maybe Georgia and Virginia Tech don't end up being tournament teams, uh, but those are two solid, you know, top 70-ish wins on the resume. They went toe-to-toe with Kansas, and I think... You know, it was on ESPN that they passed the eye mm-hmm. test for the committee members who, you know, who consider that, which some of them do. Uh, they, they've checked all the boxes that they can in, in the early going. You're exactly right. That game against St. Mary's uh, December 8th is going to be uh, fascinating. Uh, Colorado, I have not seen Colorado play this year, but that should be a good one as well. And then 
you know, a couple more tune-ups and it's right into conference play where, you know, first game against VCU is January the 14th. So that's the one to watch. Um, you know, while we're on the topic of teams that are maybe building themselves up, putting themselves in a good position, I'll just note really quickly because I was there, I was at Barclays Center last week watching Richmond. That looks like an NCAA tournament team to me as well. Um, I'm not sure if, you know, by the time we get to Selection Sunday, if they'll have enough there. Uh, win against Vanderbilt and win against Wisconsin, nice, not great. Uh, if they had beaten Auburn, uh, they ended up losing that game by 14. And it, it was a game where, if I remember correctly, Richmond led most of the first half. Auburn opened up the second half on a huge run, and Richmond was never really able to recover. I, I don't know if there are enough marquee opportunities for Richmond, mm-hmm. but I think they are good enough to be an NCAA tournament team as well. And we know VCU is, we know Dayton is, and Rhode Island will probably be in the mix. I mean, this could be a four-bid league. And that's not even mentioning Davidson, who has not been very good this year, but we know that they have potential. We know they have good players. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, <laughs> it they could be a bid stealer. It, same with St. Louis. Um, say maybe even for Duquesne, even though their best win right now per Ken Palm is against Indiana State. So it's kind of hard to tell with that team at that point. But it's, it, I mean, this is kind of what we've been saying about the A-10 going into the season, though, correct? That they were going to be, you know, a really, really, really yeah. good. It's, it's funny because we were saying it going in and then they had like a rough first week. Mm-hmm. And now... You know that we have a couple of good showings in in tournaments, and all, and all of a sudden we're back we're back on the A10 bandwagon. All right. Well, I guess on the flip side, uh, do we want to talk Gonzaga real quick? Let's let's talk Gonzaga because they have looked really good at times this year, and then Michigan just took it to them today, um, eighty-two to sixty-four, winners of the battle for Atlantis. I mean, Michigan, I think, is, is a lot better than anybody ever thought they were going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, are you concerned about Gonzaga after watching that game? I know you've watched all three of their Atlantis games. So you probably have a pretty good read on it. Um, I mean, hit and miss, I want to say, just because that, that win against Oregon, I think, is going to, of course, mean quite a bit from here on out. Um, Oregon's looking like one of the top two teams in the Pac-12, maybe not ranked second in that conference. But that Michigan game just really exposed how much further this team has to go, especially with Philip Petrushev who even though he's been playing a lot better than he did last season, I mean, he only shot, what, like four of 16 from the field. Um, and keep in mind, he's 6'11", and most of his shots are coming from under the basket. Like, I mean, that that's, that just won't fly. Um, and I feel like, if anything, it just... The Michigan game showed how important Killian Tilly was to the team. It's because he was probably the most consistent player. Uh, you know, finished with team-high 20 points, uh, shot 70% from two, 50% from three. And and even though like they kind of have rolled over everybody ex- except from Oregon, I think that's kind of the hardest part to read about Gonzaga right now is that, you know, sure, they were, they were what, like 7-0 and going, or 6-0 and going into the tournament, but they hadn't really been tested yet. And that Texas A&M win, even though it was on the road, Texas A&M probably is not a great team uh, this season considering they've already lost to Harvard and Temple. But I feel like we're gonna lot we're we're gonna learn a lot more about this Gonzaga team from December eighth through December eighteenth. Uh, they play at Washington, then at Arizona, then at home against North Carolina. That will really be quite the gauntlet here 
I know Corey Kispert has been on fire. They will need him to shoot a lot like he did. Maybe not in the Southern Miss game since that wasn't sustainable. He shot seven of eight from three, uh, most of which came in the first half. And, you know, usually he was considered like maybe a, maybe a three, I guess. Uh, but he was, you know, he was just shooting from everywhere and making everything. So they're going to really have to rely on him. But probably the most impressive part about this team so far has been Joel Ayayi and Philip Petrushev, both guys who averaged like maybe 12 minutes in most last season and now coming in and expected to be some starters or some pretty significant role players. I guess like the long and the short of it is Gonzaga is only seven players deep right now. Um, and that to me is more concerning than, you know, losing to Michigan this one time because Michigan probably should have been ranked going into this. Yeah. Um, I, I'm glad you brought up Petrushev because he was the, he was my biggest takeaway from watching Gonzaga mm-hmm. because we all, we knew that Gonzaga was, Obviously, they're a really good team. We knew that. But in order for Gonzaga to be the second weekend Final Four contender that we have come to know from them, they were going to have to have guys who played sparingly or didn't play starter minutes last year really step up because it couldn't just be Killian Tilly or Admon Gilder Mm -hmm. or even Corey Kispert. It had to be guys who maybe we haven't heard much from. And I turned on the Oregon game yesterday i think uh like early in the second half and all of a sudden i see this petrushev guy is everywhere mm-hmm. and he, he ended up going for 22 and 15 and i i mean i was really impressed and then i see our buddy will moppin tweet um <laughs> this isn't even one of his good games mm-hmm. so i'm excited to keep to keep watching this guy play i mean maybe it's just because i'm a yukon fan that when i see a big guy who is actually like efficient Mm-hmm. Or maybe not efficient, um, but is actually effective and able to like assert himself uh, on the glass or, you know, with the ball that like it shocks me. Yeah. So it, that was exciting to see. And yeah, it, Michigan game, I kind of half watched it. I was doing other things. Um, but yeah, that it, it was concerning to see the, the type of showing that he had. I think as a team, it seemed like Gonzaga just couldn't get a stop when it needed to. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Teske kind of had his way a lot of this game, 19 points, 15 boards against them. That was a little concerning, but yeah, I mean, I, I like this Gonzaga team. I do think they're better than I thought they would be. I was really, if you remember our season preview podcast, really not high on them. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a little higher on them than I was at the start of the week, uh, despite the result today. Yeah. I mean, I guess about Petrushev and all these guys that have you know, seemingly come out of nowhere. It's important to note that these guys weren't like schmucks. I mean, the, like Philip Petrushev was a four-star guy, like some really solid, right. you know, as, as Gonzaga does, you know, recruit some really solid European players. Uh, but the fact that they could just come in like Petrushev has and Joel, like Ayayi has, and suddenly become these like formidable role players, like that's off, you know, it's awfully impressive. Um, and even though like, Maybe Gonzaga fans are not thrilled with the result against Michigan. I feel like that loss will look a lot more bearable in the long run than it does right now. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt yeah. about that. Um, thinking now about some other teams that have been impressive this week. Um, one of them, to me, and maybe it's this week plus, counting their game on the 23rd against Providence, 
Penn has looked like maybe the best team in the Ivy League so far. They beat Providence on the road, 81-75 on the 23rd. Then yesterday they beat UCF by 168-67. We're recording this before the Arizona game, but I think you know they, they can lose to Arizona and still uh, be really impressive. Uh, we knew A.J. Broder would be you know, one of the better players in the Ivy League. Uh, Ryan Betley has really stepped up. He played one game last year, got hurt, and he's still kind of finding his way back, but he looked really good against UCF as well. Kyle, I can't remember. Were, were you watching that game as well? Because we were laughing about how that one ended against UCF. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so to, to set the stage, yes. um, the, uh, the Anaheim Convention Center has four three-point lines on it currently. This is a problem, by the way. It's not just the Anaheim Convention Center that has it. Oh, it's not. Uh, yeah, we it's saw it at the, the Pentagon on opening night. Like There are places, because they have the high school three-point line, the women's three-point line, the men's three-point line, and the NBA three-point line. Or in some cases, the old college three-point line and the new one. Right. Back well, that, that's what I meant. High school still uses it. <laughs> yeah. <that. laughs> so I guess, anyways, I, I don't remember which player on UCF got the ball in the situation. That's on me. That's kind of yeah, terrible. I don't, I don't remember either. And he's, he's not, it's not a school we cover. Uh, <laughs> no one covers UCF. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, they're, they're a football school. I didn't yeah. even know they had a basketball team until last night when one of their guards caught he, – he caught a pass out in the corner – Time was expiring. He had his foot on one of the many three-point lines and sank a deep two that looked like a three, um, which could have been the game winner. They were down two at that point. But his foot was on the line. It, it Actually, no, it should have sent it to overtime. His foot was on the line. That's they right. did a review of it, and then they took away a point. It was kind of a sad <laughs> moment on ESPN where, like, that 68 just kind of, like, dwindled down to a 67. Um, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, uh, you you will see UCF more than I will from here on out, uh, just because of the school that you tend to watch the most. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but I, I I think that was one of the more hilarious ways to end a game in a tournament that featured not only that but a late flop call that oh, nearly boy. derailed the game for Long Beach State. Um, I don't know if you want to talk about that after the after the commercial break or not, but. Yeah, I mean, the wooden tournament has been a little bit nuts so far. <laughs> yeah, look at you keeping up when we need to have our breaks. But yes, we will We will talk about that because I'm not sure if you saw it, but that was a horrendous call on the flop. And we'll get to that right after this. And we're back on the Mid-Major Madness podcast. Russ Steinberg along with Kyle Cajero. We're talking about the Wooden Legacy tournament. Uh, yesterday on Thanksgiving, Long Beach State defeated Providence. Providence has, by the way, since lost to Charleston as well. Um, but that Long Beach State Providence game was a wild finish. First of all, Providence blew a huge lead in that game. Long Beach State came back um, to win it because Long Beach State player was fouled taking a three. He made all three free throws to put the beach ahead and win the game. But before that, it was all nearly derailed because of a flop call. And what happened was, and I don't remember the players involved because we didn't have the sound on the TV. Like the whole family was 
kind of gathered around for Thanksgiving and it was just sort of on and I was watching. Uh, but Providence player was bringing the ball up the court and he very clearly extended his arm into his defender, which is an offensive foul. It always has been. It always will be. And the player on Long Beach State fell. Um, was it exaggerated a little bit? Maybe, but it should have been an offensive foul. And instead it was called a flop. It was apparently the second such call of the game. So it resulted in a class B technical foul, which meant Providence got a shot. It got a free throw in the ball. Um, could have been a huge momentum swing. Of course, Long Beach State ended up winning the game anyway, but I wanted to bring it up because it's, I think in most games that I've watched this weekend, there's been at least a flop warning, maybe even a flop technical. And it just doesn't seem like this new rule is having the impact that was intended. Uh, I, I understand why they brought it in because nobody likes to see a flop. Um, but it seems like the officials have been maybe a little too eager to call it. Um, I didn't expect this would be something that would result in some controversial calls, but it has at critical points in the game. Kyle, I'm wondering, have you thought the same thing and what your impression of this rule is? I am currently watching the gif of the, uh, of the Long Beach State Providence fell right now. And each time I see it, I just get more and more frustrated with the call. Right, so, so I'm right. Um, it was a bad call, right? Yeah, it was a bad call. Like it, I mean, whoever, again, I don't have the name in front of me, even though I'm watching it right now, but that, that right elbow clearly extends into Drew Cobb of Long Beach State. Um, and yeah, Drew Cobb does sell it. He kind of slides several feet right. out of frame, <laughs> uh, which is a little bit much. But a foul is um, Yeah. I mean, uh, under most circumstances, if, you know, that would be an offensive foul. Um, I think it's, I, again, it. I don't have as much faith in the NCAA and of college refs who are human and make mistakes um, calling this in the heat of the game, um, especially in a moment like this, where it was obviously a close game. Um, I don't, I don't understand why that this would be the time that someone would just want to call a flop technical again. Um, even though it wasn't as egregious as it looked. Um, I, I I'm hoping as, as do many people that they will tighten up about this. Um, I'm wondering if maybe it's just because, you know, we have a lot of national TV games on. Um, there's a lot of opportunities to get this this rule, which in theory is good. Like, correct me if I'm wrong. Like, I feel like this is an OK rule, um, all things considered. Um, but since there are so many national TV opportunities for this to happen, it's I think it's definitely entered the discourse this week. I mean, some of uh, some of these I, I, I remember seeing a flop in the Davidson game um earlier against uh marquette where i I felt like it was well initiated on a three-point shooter who just kind of crumpled into nothing when he got brushed by a a defender there um in the corner and i feel like stuff like that's warranted but this one is just ridiculous i feel like we're on the same page which doesn't make for a great podcast but (laughs) well i i will defend the officials in the ncaa for a second as well um Mm -hmm. but just kind of a couple other notes that, you know, it's, it's not even just like the big games that we've seen because I forgot that this was going to be a thing. And then like on the first night of the season in D three, I was calling a game and there was, there was a flop warning and then a flop technical. 
and it really okay. took me by surprise. So it, it, it's not just, you know, high level division one. It, it, it is happening throughout the. Um, oh, also, it is written in the rule, apparently, that the same sort of, I guess you could call it flop call can be given on an offensive player on a three point shooter if he kind of kicks his leg out hoping to draw a foul which is another thing that I do think needs to be addressed. Um, But the the defense I wanted to give was, you know, if you remember a few years ago, they made those, um, they made freedom of movement, a personal, a, uh, a a topic of emphasis. And Mm -hmm. if you remember in the first month to, you know, six weeks of the season, there were so many ticky tack, like hand check fouls called. And people were complaining, saying this is ruining the game. It's slowing it way down. But then the players adjusted to it. The officials kind of got a better understanding of when to call it in the flow of the game. And it was kind of forgotten about. So I I do want to give this rule change maybe a full season before completely uh, poo-pooing it. But at least least so far, though, it has been a bit much. Yeah, I mean, I I totally agree that it was pretty level-headed uh, as, as, as one could expect from you. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I feel like it, it will only take time. And again, like the savvy players will adjust to it and maybe they're just not used to it as much now. But do you think that like we're having this discussion just because this was a flop that maybe determined the course of the game? <laughs> if this was in like the middle of the second half or the first half, would we be still having this discussion right now? Well, probably not. I, I think that the magnitude of the moment is what kind of brought this up. I don't think there's any denying that this has been a major story in college basketball throughout the first few weeks. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had the um, the Orlando Invitational on uh, yesterday morning, and there was a whole segment. It, it seemed like it lasted five minutes, which it most certainly didn't, but it felt like it, where the two um, – guys calling the game were discussing the hand motion that the referee makes to call the flop. Like it's become such a part of the college basketball discussion in the first few weeks that it does need to be addressed. And it was only a matter of time before a call like that came at a really pivotal moment in a game. So if if it didn't happen, you know, Providence and long beach, it was going to happen at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, (laughs) do we want to maybe stay out on the, West Coast and talk a little San Diego State and Pepperdine and I know you've been watching those two teams and have uh, have some opinions there. Yes, absolutely. Um, although I kind of wish we were recording this podcast maybe an hour earlier because <laughs> I'm pulling up the score right now. But um, San Diego State's down at half quite a bit to Iowa. Um, I've been half heartedly watching it so far. Yeah, they're down forty one to thirty two right now at half. But I feel like of all the West Coast teams that have, I guess, improved and have made another kind of under-the-radar statement this week, it's definitely San Diego State. Um, Last night's absolute drubbing of Creighton was um, something that was probably not expected of a typical San Diego State team going into the season. Um, You know, they've always been a a defense-first. Will Maupin's going to get a second (laughs) shout-out on the podcast in a couple of seconds. But I think he has called this team unwatchable on several occasions just because of how 
much they want to slow teams down and like use this half this full court man to man at times sometimes half court they'll usually slog out these really low scoring games but now uh San Diego State is one of the more balanced uh one of the best shooting teams um probably in the mid major ranks and the nation right now uh which is kind of a surprising place to be uh, they're shooting 41% or 40.1% from 3 uh before the Iowa game they have four guys that average double figures in points. Uh, they've had five different players lead them in scoring through seven games. And for a team that had um, basically Devin Watson just kind of bailed them out on so many occasions last season, this is a dramatic departure from a team that had one talented guard and just kind of let him have free reign for a bit. But I, I feel like that win against Creighton, um, hopefully for the Aztecs, that means more in the long run, just because I'm looking at their schedule now. Aside from this Iowa game, their next best game and then on conference is uh, playing Utah on a neutral, which is not going to fly. Uh, Utah is projected to be one of the worst Pac-12 teams this year. And of course, like they're going to have several opportunities with Utah State and, and maybe even in New Mexico and Nevada to an extent and then on conference. But I feel like uh, San Diego State's offense um, is something that hasn't really been talked about this season. They have the firepower. I mean, Malachi Flynn, the Washington State transfer, he's actually shooting better from three than he is from two. He averages 14 points per game. He's shooting 43% from three and 42% from two. And he's a guard, which is a little ridiculous. But then Yanni Wetzel, uh, the Vanderbilt transfer and former D2 guy uh, from St. Mary's, Texas. I think, I, I know I personally overlooked him in the preseason just because I knew that San Diego State had this pair of you know, high-scoring guards and KJ Fagan and um, and Malachi Flynn as well coming in from the transfer market. But Yanni Wetzel has carved out a very significant role on the San Diego State team. He's averaging ten point nine points and seven rebounds per game. Um, he's and he's a very underrated passer down low. He's got quite a soft touch with working out of either one of the blocks. And I feel like he has really been uh, probably the biggest surprise on this team so far. Um, I'm really hoping that San Diego State pulls this out just because, I mean, of course, like this is one of the teams we cover. We want them to do well. But still, I feel like they they do look like a team that should be in the in the tournament this year. I know they haven't been since uh, 2018 when they were, we're, on, we're an 11th seed, but still. Are there any teams that have stood out to you in what you have seen so far? over feast week um well i I had wanted us to talk about san diego state because they are making me feel a lot better about our own rankings because i thought we had maybe overrated them at the start (laughs) and they've lived up to it so far um so Mm -hmm. i was happy about that um i think it is worth mentioning this isn't like a feast week uh a team playing in like a feast week tournament but they're is I think only one team in all of college basketball now, maybe two that are eight and oh, and one of them is the Delaware Blue Hens. So I want to give them a shout out, uh, especially head coach Martin Inglesby, because I tweeted something about Delaware the other day, and one of his relatives corrected my spelling of his name and they gave me a follow. So I had to, you know, shout out to Chris Inglesby. Uh, your brother, son, cousin, dad, whatever is doing a great job. Uh, 
Nate Darling has been phenomenal <laughs> this season. One of the maybe dark horse candidates for CAA player of the year. I think everyone is going to jump on, you know, Nathan Knight, Grant Riller, maybe even Eli Pemberton at Hofstra. Uh, but Darling has been fantastic. Um, highlighted by a 37 point performance against UTSA in which he shot eight of 10 from three point range. Uh, just some ridiculous numbers from him. People were saying that Delaware could be a sleeper in the CAA. I didn't really see it. I didn't, I think I probably had them sixth or seventh in my preseason ballot for the CAA. Um, I was most certainly proven mm-hmm. wrong. So wanted to give them a shout out as far as other uh, teams go that have been playing during feast week. I think Harvard has looked a little bit better than it did at the beginning of the year. I think that's worth mentioning. I know we talked about how Penn is maybe the best has looked like the best team in the Ivy league. Uh, but Harvard beat Texas A&M on Thanksgiving day and then went toe to toe with Maryland, eventually losing that one by seven, but they were in it the entire way. Um, and they've gotten, you know, Seth Towns is still out, uh, but Bryce Aiken had 30 today. Noah Kirkwood had a good game. He's been playing well, um, at least you know, three of the last four games. Didn't have a good one against Texas A&M, uh, but they've been getting kind of contributions from different places. Chris Lewis has had a good um, couple of games. Chris Ledlam was really good against Siena. So they've been kind of finding a way to win games. And if you look at what Harvard has done this year, their losses are Northeastern Buffalo and Maryland. Those are all good teams. And maybe you would expect Harvard to win, Mm -hmm. you know, against say Northeastern and Buffalo, because we thought at the beginning of the year that the Crimson might be like top 25 caliber, even without town. So they have been a little disappointing in that regard, but you know, they, they haven't done, I don't think they've done too much damage to, um, their perception on a national scale. And I think they're probably getting back into the right, uh, the right flow of things, uh, in time for conference play. Um, and while we're on the topic of the Ivy league, shout out Dartmouth five and one, they beat Thomas one Oh eight 59 in their most recent game on November the 19th. Uh, we have to give a shout out to Dartmouth on every pod. So there you go. Yeah. Please follow us back. We, we follow you. We talk about you all the time. Uh, we get very lonely. Please follow us. Yeah. <laughs> Especially if they end up beating Bowling Green. I mean, we, we need something. Oh, yeah, there. absolutely. Bowling Green is good, too. Like that, That's a legit yes. game. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, it, it's kind of on the fringes of Feast Week, but coming back and almost knocking off Montana. Well, I don't know. Nevada. Sorry. Whoa. <laughs> Freudian slip there. Um, <laughs> beating Cincinnati was not a small loss or right. a small win. So Bowling Green is going to be, it's going to be legit. I mean, I know Greg Mitchell had a great feature for us uh, about them. So they're not totally yeah. unheard of. I, I like still. how like we sit like in Slack all day and think about dumb blog ideas and then like shit post. And I published like, I love Blake Francis, the Richmond garden. I don't care who knows it and just put a bunch of gifts of him. And then Greg actually writes thoughtful features with, good analysis like he kind of carries that for us so thank you to greg yeah 
yeah, yeah. we have we have we have people doing actual journalism which is wow. not no no slight to you but we we don't just i mean that's a lot of what we do <laughs> <laughs> yeah oh yeah oh, before I, I will not we deny that. <laughs> get out of here do you want to talk about pepperdine a little bit because they uh they look good oh jesus <laughs> um i i am still kind of reeling from that uh from the arizona game for those of you who don't know i am born and raised from tucson arizona um so the arizona wildcats are very near and dear to my heart so to see them and pepperdine duke it out tie it and <laughs> play a very close game only for nico Mannion to win on some absolutely ridiculous bank shot where he banked a <laughs> he banked a layup from like the top I was going right to say, it, it looked like he almost just threw it over the backboard. Um, yeah, it was, um, it was, it was ridiculous uh, to watch now. It was ridiculous to see live, but of course he's going to do those kind of things. He, you know, he's probably going to be a lottery pick, so <laughs> I wouldn't put it past him. I, 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 I know I'm going to say this as a Pepperdine alum, but I feel like it's just a matter of time before the waves finally pull off one of these big upsets. Um, they led it. They, they put double digit leads on both Cal and USC this year, lost both of those games. Um, that Sacramento state loss was pretty inexplicable. Um, that I think really put any kind of postseason hopes in jeopardy. And I know it's weird to say that in November, um, but they have a very soft non-conference schedule. Um, it was always kind of implied that they would have had to make a deep run in the WCC tournament and maybe even win the WCC tournament to play, um, in any kind of postseason, but now with three straight losses, uh, taking Arizona to the wire in what would have been their first uh, Pac-12 win since 2012 and their first ranked win since uh, I don't know 2004. It's really terrible that I know these things off the top of my head, but that's just kind of the state of the program. But still, I mean that trio of the Edwards brothers and Colby Ross is going to keep them in games. Um, what's really alarming right now is the lack of a bench and the production they're getting from there. I know losing Keith Smith to a knee injury in the Abilene Christian game was uh, quite a blow to this team so far, especially for an Oregon transfer that had to sit out last year and got to only play three and a half games before getting sidelined again. It was kind of a bummer. Um, but I feel like defensively this team um, definitely needs to tune up in order to really kind of make, uh, I don't know, to, to kind of live up to the expectations that not only we had on them, but, uh, you know, the WCC voters at large. I mean, they they aren't fourth, for, you know, in the WCC preseason poll for an accident. Like, they're on paper a very talented team with one of the best point guards in the nation. Um, again, still kind of reeling from it. We'll see how they do against uh, UCF right now. <laughs> but still, I... That, that, that was the Pepperdine two minutes from me. Nice. It, it is a big deal, by the way, to be picked fourth in the West Coast Conference because that means you're the best team of not the big three. Yeah. Gonzaga, St. Mary's, and BYU. Um, and by the way, to the West Coast Conference's credit, all three of those teams do look like they'll be really good. And hey, you know what? If, if, uh, if Pepperdine can maybe go on a run, in March, could we get maybe a a four bid WCC going? I would I would cry. Uh, there is zero that. chance, but that would be so cool. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I <laughs> I I don't even know where to begin. But <laughs> All right, anything else we wanted to touch on before we get out of here? Uh, not really. But I guess just to kind of balance out the talking here, 
Um, are there any particular games this weekend that you are looking forward to, or even next week, since that's probably when the podcast will be up, that you think that our readers should maybe uh, consider tuning into? Well, let's it's pull up the. the uh, yeah, no, I, don't worry. I like to be put on the spot. Let me pull up the uh, the schedule. The thing is, I think next week is the uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge, so mm-hmm. that's going to be getting most of the attention. So uh, one maybe game that you'll want to watch if actually got a couple of them. If you don't feel like watching the big 10 in the ACC, Vermont is at Cincinnati on Tuesday. We've already seen Cincinnati has looked shaky and not just against Bowling Green Uh, and Vermont. Well, we know how good Vermont is. They've already won at, uh, at St. John's. They've looked really good Uh, at the same time. Coppin state is playing at East Carolina and we ran a story on Coppin State this week. They already have three non-conference wins, and oh boy, that is a big deal for them. They have a chance yes. to get a really big one against a really bad ECU team. Uh, so keep an eye on that. Penn is at Villanova, so we'll be able to see. You know, is that Penn talk? Is that really going to, you know, amount to anything? We'll see. They beat Villanova last year, if I recall. Yes, they did. So if, if Penn wants any shot at winning the Big Five, of course, they have to win that game. That is on Wednesday. Uh, Furman is at Auburn. Guessing Auburn won't have too much of a problem there, but Furman is Furman, so keep an eye out. Uh, Stephen F. Austin, fresh off of its win at Duke, is at Alabama. And listen, if you could win at Cameron Indoor, I think you could win uh, in front of 12 people at Alabama. So that would yes. be one to watch. Uh, so I guess that that's your really quick uh, preview for the week. And I think Chris will have it uh, in better de- detail on the water cooler on Monday. Which will be published by the time I think this will. So that'll, that'll be fun. Go read that. Chris has done a tremendous job with that, as usual. Um, love his writing style and his voice from an editorial perspective. <laughs> but Yeah, he's great. Yeah. He's much better than we are. So just, you know, don't even. Oh, yeah. I, I don't know how you listen to 45 minutes of this. Just. Go read Chris instead. <laughs> yeah. Go read Chris. Go, re- go read Greg. Yeah. Um, and read Cam's tweets when he's not riling up the masses. Yeah. Um. Um, <laughs> and, and as far as this podcast goes, just make sure you download it so we get credit. You don't have to listen. Just, you know, yeah. we, we appreciate it if you do. And if you do listen, be sure to rate us five stars and write us a review. It helps us out. It helps us get a little bit of recognition. We appreciate it. Uh, we are available wherever you get your podcasts. If you don't subscribe already, uh, iTunes, Stitcher, I don't remember the other platforms. Those are the ones that I know. And Spotify, I think Spotify, Spotify, I think. Uh, yeah. I mean, listen, 95% of people probably get their podcasts from Apple. This is where I get my podcast. I'm recording us right now. I'm just gonna uh, are you just going to listen to this later? Right. Yeah. You get the yeah. uncut version. Yeah. All the, all the uncensored jokes that yeah. we make beforehand. <laughs> That's right. Um, anyway, uh, subscribe, you know, rate us, review us, all of that crap. Uh, we promise it won't be another two and a half weeks before you hear from us again. Um, that was inexcusable on our part, but we, we will do a better job of that. And hopefully technology will cooperate a little bit more. So for Kyle Cajero, I am Russ Steinberg. Thank you so much for listening. And here is our fancy... Uh, royalty-free outro music it's the best part it's it's the button at the top of the zencaster thing if you're wondering